It may seem hard to fathom in today's hyper-partisan era, but there was a time when people from both political parties agreed on the fundamental nature of the problems facing society. They disagreed merely on how to solve them. These days, as each side believes their own set of facts, such common values seem far away. How did we as a society arrive at this state of extreme polarization, and how can we begin to move our country past it? From the University of California, Irvine, I'm Aaron Orlowski, and you're listening to the UCI Podcast. Today, I'm speaking with Pete Ditto, who's a professor of psychological science here at UCI and an expert on political partisanship. Professor Ditto, thank you for joining me today on the UCI podcast. Thanks for having me, Aaron. So this election season feels like one of the most contentious ever, or at least in recent memory, and it seems like the sides really couldn't be further apart. But what does the research say? Are we more polarized as a society today than we were in the past? That's always a tough call, Aaron. You know, we we did have a civil war at one point. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, it, so the, the two things I would say is that is that first, vigorous, passionate disagreement is is the hallmark of democracy, right? So you can't have just a unilateral position. We, we fight as part of our uh, system of government. It's gotten very contentious at various times, uh, uh, you know, over uh, across our history. But now there's sort of two kind of unique things about it, I think. One is kind of a, a cleaving of the two sides where, uh, you know, in the past, kind of if you looked at Congress, there was an overlap between Democrats and Republicans. There were uh, liberal Republicans, there were conservative Democrats. You know, at other times there were at least moderates. Now, what you look at is there's almost no moderates in Congress that the two parties are sort of pulled apart where there's almost no overlap between them. There's a left and a, and a right that are really kind of unique. And, and, it's, and that cleaving has gone all the way down as well. So some of this is technologically a product of modern times, right? So we we look at different TV, we look at we look at different media. Uh, so the the right and the left, you know, watch different shows, read different things. They like different things. They like different movies. Uh, and we live separately. We were able to sort sort of geographically. So increasingly, what you find is that liberals live near liberals, conservatives live near conservatives. You get more many more landslide. Uh, sort of districts and elections, right? So everything's sort of pulling apart. And the second part of that thing, as, as everything is cleaved and pulled apart, is we've started to really dislike each other, right? So that's the other difference, is this kind of intense sort of dis, not, not disagreement with the other side, but dislike of the other side and perceiving the other side as, as evil and immoral rather than just sort of wrong or misguided in some sense. And so it's really an intense time, uh, you know, that the temperature is way up now, uh, you know, compared to, uh, you know, kind of certainly the recent history. Well, you and some colleagues recently published a review article in Science kind of touching on some of these issues. And that article described today's polarization as more akin to religious sectarianism. And that sounds like what you're talking about. So, so what do you mean by that? How do we, how is our society more like religious sectarianism these days? That paper's really nice uh, in the sense that it's a, a group of sort of the top experts in political polarization to try to summarize the science of it. 
what causes it, what, what maybe are some of the solutions. And we've struggled a lot with how to, what to call it, sort of an overarching level, sort of, and, and terms we've used before, I've used before in the literature, like tribalism, this kind of political tribalism, and which feels, again, tribalism is sort of based on kinship and genetics and things like that. And it isn't, I mean, it captures sort of the intensity of it, but it isn't quite right. And so what we we finally settled on is this idea of sectarianism, right? So a sectarian battle, it's a two offshoots of the American civic religion fighting for dominance over who's got, whose vision is the correct one of you know, what America means. Is it that conservative right-wing version or is that left-wing version? And, you know, and it's, it's moralized. I think that's the sort of crucial, it's, it's sort of akin to a religious fight in a sense. There's a moral battle that's undergoing you're underlying all of this. And, and again, the way I describe that sometimes is there's a way of, of, of envisioning politics in which it's a fight between two sides who have different policy ideas that one side might be right and one side might be wrong. You both want to improve the economy, for example, uh, but one has one you know, about cutting taxes. The other one has about, you know, has ideas about investing in the, in, in the government. And, and one side might be right or wrong. And at worst, the other side is stupid, right? They're dumb or smart. It's metastasized into this situation where it's more that one side is good and one side is evil, right? That we don't really have the same goals that, oh, the other side isn't really trying to improve the economy. They're really trying to control it. And uh, so they're evil, right? Not, not good. And when you disagree, it's, it's sacrilege. It's not, you know, it, it's not just a disagreement. So we've gone from a, a, a sort of politics where, where the other side is dumb and we're smart to the other side is evil and we're good. And that's really dangerous. And that has that flavor of that sort of sectarian battles when these, when religious sides with that, that fervor, that moral fervor that you get with religion. We thought that word really captured well, kind of the tone of what uh, American politics is today. So when you look at history, do you feel like you see instances where we've had this kind of similar sectarianism in the past here in the United States? Yeah, I'm, I'm not a historian, and but yeah, you see the that kind of uh, flaring up. It's easy for any kind of conflict, any kind of competition to turn into morality. Think about sports, right? Sports is the great analogy, right? The, those aren't meaningful. You know, you're just put onto different teams. <laughs> Ask a Yankee fan how they feel about the Red Sox, uh, or you know, or vice versa, right? So it's even even competition of any kind tips into this moral flavor, right? And then in history, so the Civil War might be a good example where the two sides sort of had these different moral visions for what they thought the country should be. And that's, a, again, it's a much hotter, more emotional, more a, 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 this tendency for it to turn into this kind of negative partisanship where the other side is, is demonized. They're, you know, they're trying to do something different. They're evil. That, that's sort of the challenge of American democracies. How do you take passionate disagreement and keep it from boiling over uh, into some kind of sectarian war? Well, at the beginning of the, the conversation, you mentioned how the two sides essentially have their own sources of information. Uh, you know, one side listens to one news outlet and the other listens to a different out news outlet. So how does that really play into this polarization? Both how does it kind of drive the polarization and then how does it affect someone as they're making decisions uh, on their political beliefs? One of the central problems that I've been interested in my research is this fact gap between 
liberals and conservatives, that it's not just that we have different opinions about things, but we believe in different sets of facts now. You know, climate change would be the classic example. You know, one side believes that there's human-caused climate change, the other side doesn't. COVID is another great example. This is sort of the classic moral story about you know, what happens when things get politicized, right? So this information comes in and one side believes that it is less serious and that masks aren't effective. The other side believes it's more serious and masks are effective. And so you get these, these gaps, right? So why is it that we have different sets of facts? Well, there's kind of two sort of crucial things going on. One is that we have different sets of information coming in. So if I'm a liberal, I'm watching MSNBC and the New York Times and the Washington Post, uh, you know, and PBS. And if I'm a conservative, I'm, I'm you know, watching Fox News, reading the uh, uh, Wall Street Journal or, you know, uh, and other blogs and things like that. So I'm getting a different story. One side's telling me, you know, COVID serious, COVID serious. Here's the things that work. The other side's saying it's not very serious. You know, everybody's exaggerating it. So you just, if you have different information, you're going to have different facts, right? The second part of it, and again, the, the part that I've been really, really interested in in my career is how that even if you get the same information, you process it differently. And the basic phenomena that I talk about a lot is what I call motivated skepticism. Skepticism is a good thing, right? But people deploy it selectively. And what they tend to do is they tend to accept the information that sort of supports their side, their, their political views very easily, very uncritically. They accept those as true. Things that come in on the other side that challenge your views, you tend to go, wait a minute. Is that really true? Let me fact check that. Let me go to PolitiFact and, and do all that, right? That's why people, you know, they get some kind of juicy detail, a political detail, uh, you know, that just fits just exactly what they, you know, what they want. And then they share it immediately, you know, on Facebook without checking it. And somebody goes, oh, you know, did you, you, should, you should fact check that, right? People fact check things they don't want to believe. They don't fact check things they believe. And so they end up processing this information differently. We keep taking in, accepting all the information that says our side is right and we're good. You know, and and rejecting all the information that says the other side is good and right, and 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 believing all the things about how bad they are, and then you end up, you know, through this different information and the same in, and these these processing biases, ending up with these completely different factual worlds that we live in, right? And that's really problematic. And that just makes it even more impossible to have a productive conversation because th- there's not even a common sense of truth that is a, a common ground. Yeah, it makes it really hard to uh, compromise, uh, to negotiate, to actually get legislation passed if you just can't agree on ground level facts. I mean, think about the let's have a talk with your friend who doesn't believe in in global warming. Okay, so okay, friend, uh, so let's talk about why the temperature's been going up over the last twenty years. No, it hasn't. (laughs) No, no, it has really has gone up. No, it hasn't. Yeah, no, no, really, all the data said it's going up. No, no, it hasn't. Right, and then you go. I mean, that's a, just a caricature, but you don't get anywhere, right? You can't. And then what it does is it makes you angry, right? There's nothing that makes you angrier than somebody that just seems to refuse to believe what you fundamentally believe is true, right? And then if they just want to tell, well, they're either stupid or they're, you know, evil, uh, you know, and that that fact gap, uh, you know, if you just can't agree on some basic things, really drives, it fuels, it's both fueled by the conflict and it and it fuels it. And that's kind of the problem, really, ultimately, with where we are now is the whole thing is really self-escalating, right? It's just tit for tat and every, the, the stakes just get raised. Everybody gets more and more angry. You know, it's just like the kids fighting in the back seat of the station wagon, right? You know, it's like they're one hit me. He hit me first. 
he hit me harder, you know, and, and that just doesn't stop. You know, somebody has to go back there. Well, the only question then is who, who goes back there, you know, who's the parent in the room in that analogy? Yeah. I mean, that's exactly the problem, right? People crave, they crave an umpire. They, they're looking that one side says this is true. The other side says the, the exactly the opposite is true. And people want somebody to say, hey, what's true, right? And, and tell, me, tell me who's, who's, who's the neutral arbiter in this. And it's really hard to find. And particularly when you politicize, the umpires are getting politicized. The CDC, the World Health Organization, the FBI, whose view is the objective one, right? And people just don't know what to do. And, and you know, so you, all you end up with is this sort of intractable conflict. So in your research, what have you found about who is more biased in processing this information? Are conservatives or liberals more biased? And, you know, is that a question that uh, psychological scientists agree on? Yeah, it's a really tricky issue. And it really depends on what you mean by biased and what you mean by liberal, all kinds of things make it difficult as a matter of, um, you know, science. So I've done a, a lot of work on, on this as well, just because it's a question that, that a lot of people disagree on. So in social psychology, there's a long history going all the way back to the 1950s uh, in this this project called the uh, uh, the authoritarian personality. There's sort of a modern version of that in social psychology as well, where a lot of people really sort of have pointed to different personality differences between uh, the two sides. And those seem to be, you know, there's good evidence for that, that, uh, that again, conservatism is about kind of staying where you are, holding things off. Liberalism is about going forward, opening up to experience. Those kind of differences seem to exist. And the question is, does that make conservatives more biased? There's another whole set of literature that suggests that they're really relatively equal. They, they're biased in different directions. It's harder to see liberal biases. Most researchers are liberal, right? So we actually did a study uh, over, in fact, it took about six years, six, seven years to do this that we published last year where we did a, a meta-analysis where we tried to find every study we could on political bias, on just kind of looking at that had a, a particular kind of uh, definition of, uh, of, of bias. And it, the general idea is that you're more likely to accept exactly the same piece of information if it supports your political beliefs and reject it if it doesn't, right? And so you can get a measure of that. And we compared every study. They're all experimental studies that we could find, right? And we compared whether liberals or conservatives were more biased about that. And what we found is that both sides were biased. Both sides are, the fundamental bias is sort of accepting information, again, that you want to believe that's that flatters your side more than the other compared to exactly the same information from the other side. And what we found is that both sides do that, right? And they do it to almost the identical degree, right? So everybody, this is this really fundamental sort of group bias that we have. We like our side. We're nicer to our side. You know, we kind of are harsher on the other side. Hmm. So what I think they show is that both sides have this tendency to favor our own side, right? And everybody's vulnerable to that. I think historical forces can move those things up and down. Sometimes they can make one side more biased than the other, uh, you know, if their worldview is threatened. And you might see that now going on conservative side where their worldview is really being threatened, you know, sort of the multiculturalism, uh, you know, it seems like their demographic uh, you know, whole you know, the advantage in the country is sort of dwindling and that makes them sort of more intense. That may kind of make them more biased. I certainly think there's good evidence that the Trump administration's views about most things diverge more from where science <laughs> you know, would say the right answer is than the liberal side. 
I mean, liberals shouldn't walk around thinking, oh, I'm, you know, I'm so rational. All of us do it too. You know, we, we, we and it's sciences has this problem, right? Sciences tend, tend to accept information that, that, that supports their theories more than others. Everybody's vulnerable to this. So if, if both sides are roughly equally biased, you know, maybe different amounts at different times in history, and even scientists can be biased too sometimes, is it reasonable to say that this is basically a trait of human nature you know we as humans are are built this way to to favor uh, our own side more than the other side that's a great question so i i think yeah I, it helps to put american democracy in its sort of full perspective right is that humans are our group animals our evolutionary niche is small group living we're and the and the the, the people who cooperated the best and made the best functioning groups did the best evolutionarily, right? So we're built to be groupy. So that's what I mean, that natural tendency. And you see it all the time. It's just, it's just rife in politics, right? So when your president golfs, it's okay. But when the other side's president golfs, it's a, you know, it's a national tragedy, right? We all (laughs) take exactly the same thing. And if our side does it, we give them a break. The other side doesn't. We don't, right? That's we like our own group. We're we're connected like that. At the drop of a hat, sort of psychologically, we form groups and we exclude other people, right? So yeah, this is what you get when you split people up into groups. Is there's this always this tendency for them to kind of cleave off in this kind of sectarian way and start fighting, right? Now what that means is that that could be an electoral strategy: mm. split people, right? And it's a great electoral strategy because it goes with the grain of human nature. It's really easy to split people up and make them hate each other, right? It's way more difficult to get people to look at people who are unlike them and say, oh, yeah, you're part of me. There's a couple of million years of evolutionary history. You know what? We split up into groups and we try to kill each other, right? And if you want to get people that don't look like you, don't think like you, don't believe the same things as you do, you know, about the nature of the world and everything else, right? That's hard. That's an uphill battle. That's the battle that most American presidents have been trying to fight to get people together. But the other strategy is so much easier because it, again, it, it takes advantage of our grouping nature. And that's what we have to fight against is somehow kind of define this superordinate group as Americans, as you know, the United States and not our, each of our American sects. I mean, this struggle to overcome sectarianism and overcome partisanship will continue after Election Day, after November 3rd. It's a long-term project. So what can we do right now in these few days and these few weeks to lower the partisan temperature just a little bit and uh, get through this really tense time? Yeah, I mean, I think everybody, first of all, needs to be patient, right? This is a really treacherous time or coming into where the because the because of the pandemic the election returns are going to come in slowly there's going to be a lot of uncertainty in that period i think uh and yes it's not going to stop right so that's the kind of nature of this if whatever side wins the other side's going to be mad and now because everything's moralized it's not oh we lost but we were cheated and so i think if everybody's patient if you look at your neighbors and try to think of them as those people who 
helped you when your kids needed help, who, you know, you borrowed, <laughs> I don't know if anybody borrows a carton of milk anymore, but yeah, that kind of thing, right? <laughs> if you think of it more broadly, maybe that'll calm everybody down. I think it's, it's again, a really treacherous time uh, in American politics. And it, it sounds really cliche, but we kind of have to look at people as Americans and not as Republicans or Democrats or Trump supporters or Biden supporters. Well, Professor Ditto, thank you for joining me today on the UCI podcast. Thank you. The UCI podcast is a production of Strategic Communications and Public Affairs at the University of California, Irvine. Please subscribe to the UCI podcast wherever you listen.